Hello, this is Tucker Johnson again for Nimsy Insights, uh, this time with Wendy Pease, who I will introduce in one second. Um, if you are joining us for the first time, we are kind of doing a pop-up marathon today. I got scheduled with a bunch of these. Um, I need to fix my scheduling system, but frankly, it's a, it's a good problem to have. It's a, it's a blessing here because I get to talk to cool people like Wendy, who has a new book out, which we are going to be talking about today. It's called The Language of Global Marketing. I actually have a copy right here. Um, it was my full intention to go through it, or at least take a highlighter and make it look like I went through it, so I could pretend like I read it, but um, I haven't gotten to it yet, which is why I'm excited to have Wendy on, who is going to walk through me, walk through it with us. But first, Wendy, um, I think a lot of people, I think your reputation precedes you in a lot of regards within our industry. I I know there's a lot of folks out there who um, the name recognition is there. But for those who have not seen you or heard you speak or read read your writing or familiar with your, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, okay. Well, I'm really honored to have you say that about my reputation. I hope it's all good that precedes Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. because I've been in the industry for about 17 years now and have thoroughly loved it. I mean, I absolutely love being in this industry. You know, my mission in life is to connect people. Now I get to connect people across languages and cultures. Um, I love all the opportunities. I love the play on words. I love the words that come from other languages that have no direct translation. I love the English words, you know, so there is always something entertaining. I still love going to work every day. I got a great team that I'm working with now. So that makes it all the more fun. Tell us Um, about that over, over rapport. Is it rapport? Am I pronouncing it correctly? Yes, like the French word to, you know, build connections. Always got to ask. Always got to ask. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, though, is I bought the company, so I didn't originally name it, but I really like the name. That's a good name. Yeah. Well, well, but that's not what we're we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about the book, The Language of Global Marketing. Why? Why does this book exist? And what problem does this book solve? You know, if I boil it down, I wrote it because of Google Translate. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, I mean, I think you remember back – I mean, how long have you been in the industry? Uh, Exactly as long as you. Too long. Okay. (laughs) So you remember back when we would have started, uh, people – you'd go to networking meetings and people would say, you do what? For who? Why would they need that? Mm -hmm. You know, so you're always explaining what you did. And then about 10 years ago, Google Translate came out. And then the question was, well, is Google Translate going to put you out of business? And we kind of watched what machine translation was going to do. And then about five to seven years ago, people started asking me, well, do you do that thing where you make it right for the culture? You know, so they were starting to distinguish that there was different levels of quality. And so when that started happening, I realized that there was such an opportunity and a lot of the questions that I was being asked were very similar. So when I learned that less than 1% of U.S. companies export and their biggest fear is language, I thought, you know what, there's a whole roadmap that we can put together in a book. So 
people can use this as a resource to understand how you develop a strategy and then what the process and technology needs are to get the quality that you need. So in the book, I do talk about where situations that it would be appropriate to use Google Translate, mm -hmm. but in other situations, I talk about companies that absolutely cannot use Google Translate. Like, again, name a few out of curiosity. Like, what, what, who can't use Google Translate? What, what scenarios can they not? And I know it seems like a silly question, but these are the questions. This is why the book exists, right? Because this is why the book that, exists. That's what I heard. Yeah. I heard in your answer, this book exists because of silly questions. Specifically right. silly questions about Google Translate, but silly questions nonetheless. So let's talk about those silly questions. Yeah, and they're not, you know, I know that's super insulting. silly questions, I, I, as but I'm they're saying not. That, yeah, bad, bad on me. Like, I don't want to disrespect people that have those questions, right? Because we all had those questions. Oh. Right, 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 right. Because and then they seem like silly questions at the at the surface level. But then when you dig down deeper, you realize there's so many more issues mm. behind that. So it, it, you know, where it may seem like I'll have so many people say to me, well, I have a silly question, or I've never done this before. And I'm like, well, it's not so silly. <laughs> I need to know about <laughs> your strategy. But your question was, who can use Google Translate and who can't? So the two examples I used in my book are well-known companies. One is um, Airbnb okay. and the other one is Nike. Okay. Okay. Two companies that I really love, have great respect for their marketing. Airbnb uses Google Translate very effectively in one part. Nike should never use uh, Google Translate machine translation. And here's, here's why. Nike I was going to say, don't is, make me ask why. Tell me why. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Ask why. <laughs> why? Why can't Nike use machine translation? And I'm sure maybe there's someone from Nike being like, oh, we do use machine translation. But I, I understand what you're saying. Why can't they use machine translation? They can't use it because they have consumer products that are bought by an emotional buyer. Mm. So if you really want to connect with your buyer, you've got to have something that grabs them in. It's called a hook in marketing. You need to have a hook. You need to pull them in and keep them interested. So, for example, say you go to a website and it's a product that you're really interested in, but you can tell that it was originally in Chinese and then somebody put it through machine translation and you've got to spend a lot of time looking at it, trying to figure out what it says. You're going to go back to the search page, look for the next company and click through to that. So Nike is doing that. And if you look at their websites, what comes up on the home page is very different in the United States mm -hmm. than it is in Brazil or you know in some of the countries in Middle Europe East. in the Middle East right. uh-huh I've actually done that that like this exact exercise like I have actually worked on a project before that included going to Nike's international sites and researching mm -hmm. and documenting the differences between them um, and oh, not and all so companies... what did you learn or what were your takeaways? Okay. It was a while ago. <laughs> hey, I put you on the spot. You don't put me on the spot. This is my oh, I have a podcast. So okay, I like I'll, I'll come on, on and you can, you can grill me. Okay. So here, here's my main takeaway was, was this, and it's, it's embarrassing to admit because like I, I didn't understand it. 
which is my assumption going into it was when I'd look at their Middle East websites, um, Arabic countries, they would be more different than I found them to be. Meaning, um, specifically, I thought the women would be covered up, right? Now, say what you will about, oh, silly American with his um, biases, but hey, I'm admitting them right here. And yeah. I, I was interested because their website didn't have that. It had very, you know, it's classic Nike empowered, I mean, granted browner, but like empowered women doing empowering women things. And they didn't change that to the culture. And, you know, that's the one thing that stuck with me. I found other stuff, right? But that's the one thing that stuck with me. And here's why. Because it really kicked off this way of, or this thinking, this, you know, like internal dialogue that I'm still processing to this day on where do brands, where should brands draw the line between staying true to their core values? Well, first of all, can a brand have values, right? That's a, oh, yeah, that's a whole discussion. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Right. So can it have an end then should they stay true to those values in all markets or should they adapt their values in different markets? You know, I look at, look at the Chinese market. We can talk about that. If you want to talk about the Chinese market, look at markets that, um, you know, have restrictions on speech, um, where do you draw the line? Where, where, where's the line between brand activism and brand integrity? Essentially? Right. Yeah, that's a really good question. Cause I was talking, uh, I had an interview on the global marketing show, my podcast where somebody was talking about how they wanted to continually get better, um, with customer service mm. in Japan. Okay. And that didn't translate because the Japanese are like, well, that's what customer service is all about. Yeah, like, well, how are we going to get better if we're delivering good customer service? <laughs> so, you know, it had to be modified. We did a translation for Staples where, you know, in the, in the U.S. culture, we have refrigerator art where you take your kid's art and you hang it on the refrigerator. But they're tagline that talked about that wouldn't work in France because they don't have refrigerator art in France. So they just didn't use that one, but they had different options. But I'm, I'm really surprised with um, Nike and the women not covered up. Were they wearing the headscarves, the jobs? Uh, uh, some of them were, but some of them weren't. Right? Okay. And hey, don't well, quote that... me on this. Like we could get on the way. This was yeah. a few years ago, right? But um, it, it was – hey, that was, that's what I remembered about it. Okay. Because well, all of I the mean... Arabic translation projects, localization projects I should say, um, that I've worked on in my career involved like, oh, yeah, yeah we're not going to include this talking about alcoholic beverages. We're not going to include this talking right. about that. And you know, fine. That's that's the name of the game when it comes to localization. So that's, that's why I was like, oh, all right. And it made me – this is pure speculation, right? But it made me ask questions like, who is that Middle Eastern website for, right? Right, but you've got Saudi Arabia where people keep covered up and you've got UAE where it's much more liberal. But yeah, it, I, I it, think – That's my point. And yeah. I have seen um, athletes, women athletes, where they're wearing the hijab, but they, they're still wearing the T-shirt and shorts so they can run and play soccer. Well, and, and Nike so, – this was yeah. right about the time when Nike was like – it was in the news that they were – 
not producing, but, you know, making a hijab, um, like a sports hijab. Yeah. And I remember that made headlines back in the day. It was right around that time. Okay. Yeah. Right. No, it's, it's, it's really interesting, but nowhere on there did they have Google Translate and they probably no. yeah, tested it, it very on well. Topic here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure Nike don't, you know, there's some companies out there that um, I, I really respect because they don't do nothing without thinking about it. Um, yeah. And I don't think it's by mistake that Nike is one of the examples that you use because they're to me the gold standards. And, you know, you shouldn't have heroes because they'll let you down. Right. But they're kind of my hero. They're my brand hero on, you know, how to have authentic values as a brand. Um, okay. Well, mine's much more basic as I like their Nike Air Pegasus running shoes. <laughs> oh, I like that too. <laughs> so I, I picked them because of that. <laughs> I like getting contracts with Nike because I go visit and they let me go to the company store too. So, you know, if you're out there, go go find someone to sell to at Nike. <laughs> oh, I, I'm going to have to. I'm yeah. going to have to because I'd love to work for them and go to the company store. <laughs> <laughs> still spend up you still end up spending six hundred dollars but anyways oh yeah um, well their products are great and i do i do like their brand and their messaging yeah well yeah. let's um let's get back to the book here let's, let's tie this back in yeah so airbnb was the one that i contra contrasted against nike yeah. okay yeah so they're very interesting because they also handle their translations very well. And here's a site where you've got a lot of users coming in. So if you're going to post something on Airbnb, you, you have standard questions that you have to ask, like how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, is there parking or whatever, you know, and they use little um, icons on there. So you can fill it in with the number and it's standard translation. It can pick, pick that up. So that is all okay. very consistent. Now, if somebody goes to leave a review on your property, then they're, they're going to put it in in their own language. Now, Airbnb can't go in and translate all the reviews. But as a user, I, you know, I gave the example of I've always wanted to go to St. Petersburg. Mm -hmm. And so I found a place in St. Petersburg and I could tell the place was good because of the number of stars it was ranked. And then the description I popped into Google Trans or I did the Google Translate uh, right in there. And I could I could get the gist enough of where the location was um, walking distance to, you know, the highlights. So I could I could get the I could see all the factual information that I needed. I could get the gist of what it was, and then I could use the Google Translate to translate the reviews. And so all that would have been prohibitively expensive and really hard to manage. But as a user, I can get the gist of what mm -hmm. it was. So I I think they use that in a very productive and constructive way. Yeah. I 100% user-generated contrast. Tint is like made for machine that's like what machine translation is made for it because it's the yeah. epitome of like high volume low value content where you don't need to get the nuance let's face it most user generated content like i don't take the time to punctuate properly when i'm leaving reviews right. on social media and stuff so it's not worth it to run it through a quality process it's not worth it to have it freaking trans created or anything like that. So right. absolutely. I mean, there's a time and a place for MT and, you know, MT is not 
taking jobs. You know, it's not taking the translators' jobs. Um, there's still plenty of work. There's still so it's much work. It's increasing the need for translation. Yes. I mean, before Google Translate, you had the you know, what do you do? What do you translate for? And now people are more aware of how they can go global and, you know, whole e-commerce and global marketplace and being online. So the, the demand for translation has actually increased from it. Well, it's become something that's entered the everyday lexicon, right? It's like a normal, quote unquote, normal. Um, people are cognizant of translation these days, whereas, you know, 20, even just 20 years ago, people could live happily unaware that there was even a Spanish version of Windows Vista or whatever it was 10 years ago. Right. 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 And yeah. these days people are aware of this because it's in the news. Um, people, the world is more collect connected than it's ever been before. Globalization of markets is real. Um, borders are breaking down and yeah, you can't, you can't get away with not translating anymore. Right? right. That's why I wrote the book because nobody learned about it in school. Nobody knows how to do it. There's this fear of other languages, particularly in the United States. What do I translate? It's a common question. So I have a four by four matrix in there and different ways to look at what you can translate. So it's, it, it's yeah, got it, a lot of information in there. This going into market and uh, I've been talking a lot recently about e-commerce, right? And the, this yes. this rise in e-commerce and mm. you know, this concept of the accidental exporter, which I think yes. is your term. If, if it's not your term, then it's the term that you use, right? See, oh, I'd it's, love to own it, but I can't. No, you can't. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I heard it from Ed Marsh okay. originally from Concilium, but I don't know where he got it. But I have seen it in the new in you know. So, so have to research who first said it, but I'd love to own it. <laughs> I, I, I would, it's a great term, right? Because it, yeah. it's something that it's a concept that I've long thought about, but never had a word to, um, accurately describe. And that having been said, like, I'm not even sure I'm working, I'm making assumptions about the, the definition. Can you define it for us? What is an accident? I was going to say, probably for your listeners, you want to talk about what it is. So this is for me too, just to make sure, you know, just to make sure <laughs> it's in the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. An accidental exporter is somebody who didn't plan to export, but becomes an exporter because they're paying attention to things. So it used to be, if you were going to export, you'd have to be a large company and develop a strategy and then put toward resources to it, make sure you had people on the ground. Um, accidental exporters came around because if you put up a website, anybody in the world can find you. Right. And if they find you, if they speak, it used to be if they spoke English, they might even buy from you because the internet was primarily in English. That's changing now. Um, more local businesses are putting up in language websites. But if you want to compete, you take your website, you have it in English, you watch your metrics and your statistics and say, huh, we're getting some business coming in from Germany and then translate a landing page or a microsite or your website and then you'll attract more people from that area. So just watching your statistics can tell you what languages to go into or you can target different countries and uh, languages and just pop a landing page up there and test it. So are, are you, 
and I know the answer to this, I think, but are you of the school of thought that it's okay to dip your toes into markets or are you an all in type of gal? Like, Oh, dip your toes in right now. Uh, yeah. Because, because yeah. you can, because we have access, yeah. we have all of these data that we, we didn't used to like unprecedented amounts of data on mm-hmm. users and, mm-hmm. you know, think what you will about that and what it means about our society and the meaning of privacy and all of that stuff, but it is what it is. So mm-hmm. we can we can do things as brands, um, global brands, and we can reach customers in markets speaking their language. We can localize to new levels that in the past we couldn't just because we didn't have that information. We didn't We didn't know. How many people were logging into our websites? We did, or, right. um, well, perhaps we knew that, but we didn't have the level that we have today. So no, you can see where they're coming from. You can see how long they're spending and what pages they're going to. You can you can decide to sell one product and just do translation for that. I mean, translation could be really inexpensive if you just minimize down what you're translating to get an entree into into develop it from there so so how would you recommend going about doing that minimizing it down like how what is a way to to dip dip toes in the water to play not to not to play but to prototype and test international expansion you know take a iterative iterative approach to it what recommendations do you have for companies so uh, I, the process, I'm going to give you the generic answer, and then I'll give you some customer examples. So the generic answer is the process that I take you through in the book, is you have to understand what your corporate strategy is, your marketing strategy has to align with that, and then your multilingual strategy has to align with that. And then you can figure out the process and whether you're going to leverage technology to get the quality that you need. Okay, so now if you have that framework in mind, let's look at a couple examples. We have a client that um, sells in English and they found out that every, and, and so they did a microsite or a landing page. So if I talk about your full site, that would be every page on it. Mm, okay. A microsite would be just a smaller version. So it may be three, four, five pages of just the important stuff. So the about us, the products you have for sale, you know, and, and how to buy, you know, and so there's and Nike has microsites in some markets. I remember that too. Oh, do they really? <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> I didn't know it's what they were called though. I'm not a marketer. Yeah. Microsites. Okay. Microsites and then a landing page would just be a single landing page, you know, for a couple hundred dollars, you could do a landing page that would give information. So I've, I have examples I, I think of this, all of those. I think I, like a podcast landing page is what I think of. Like I've got a single page for this podcast. I don't know the address, yeah. but it came with the service, right? And But it's just one page. Yes. So okay. that's a landing page. Okay. Okay. So we have this customer that I was talking about, and they have their website in English, and they did a, I think it was a microsite in Spanish. And then they found out every time they translated one of their blogs into Spanish, their leads coming into their website skyrocketed. So they just translate the blogs and they can see that coming in, you know, and then they struggled with, they had a, uh, an employee who was bilingual that could handle the calls. And we talked to them and told them about telephone interpreting. And they're like, oh, we don't have to have an employee. We can, we can do this all over the phone. You people know, we had know. a, people just don't know. 
They right. don't know. Yeah. They don't know. And so that's the book to that's tell the people. Book. You to don't, do I mean. There we go. Yes. Yes. On Amazon or Barnes and Noble and all the other places that you want to get it. it <laughs> oh, you're going to pull it up right there. I am going to pull it up right here. I was trying to find, because we have a comment down here from Christopher. Hey, Christopher. Christopher has been doing these live streams all day with us, I think. He says, hi, Christopher. Uh, hi. Uh, Nike Nike was also recently in the news for the Air Force One Goddess of Victory shoes. Have you seen this? No, I yeah. haven't seen that. I, I think we'll probably be talking about it on multi, multilingual. We'll publish something about it. But it's interesting because I, I, you know, I'm not going to talk about it. Stay tuned. We'll, we'll publish more on that. But yeah, oh, getting yeah. back to the book, Amazon. It's, it's available um, on Amazon now. It's only been out for like a week or two, right? Yeah, about a month or so. Um, yeah, and so we, I've got 30 reviews there. I hear the Google <laughs> algorithm kicks in at about 60. So if you get it, please leave me a review. I don't care what you say. <laughs> I want you is, to be honest because I want to get better. Is that how that works? So if you get 60 reviews, Google will start picking up your book? Yeah, it'll start showing it more frequently than when people are going in to look for marketing books. Okay, so ev everybody go review The Language of Global Marketing, five stars, and go review my book, The General Theory of Translation. <laughs> <laughs> While you're there. While you're there. While you're there, You know what I'm yes. saying? Like, yes. one trip, two birds, one stone is all I'm saying. Yes, and we, 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 we would sing your praises. Tucker and I will sing for you. Exactly. Well, congratulations. <laughs> on the book it's a it's a cool thing and I, I think that's I, I pinged you because I saw the book and I, you know I, I I love talking to authors because just the act of writing I think forces you to like put structure to your thoughts and um, that's why I really enjoy talking with authors because not only do they have interesting things to say but they have done the work and gone through the exercises to know how to say those things in a structured and efficient way. Obviously I have work to do. I'm way too long in the tooth, right? But it's the, um, yeah. So that's why I reached out to you because. Yes, I appreciate that. And I, and look at William, Dan just ordered the book. Thank you so Dang, much. There you go. There you I go. I really appreciate that. I, I get my cut. I get my cut on that. Right. Wendy? <laughs> Absolutely. Gonna, an invoice. <laughs> Okay. Well, tell but me. I also think it means we need to sing to him now. Oh, did I agree <laughs> to that? Oh, my goodness. What are we singing? Happy birthday? <laughs> oh, he said we will sing your praises. We, yeah. Oh, yeah. wait. I have a button for that. Holy moly. I'm losing my touch here. Yeah. That's for you. <laughs> well, you know what song is stuck in my head? Huh. You know, Kumbaya? Yeah, yeah. 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 Kumbaya. Well, somebody was. Yeah. No, I'm not doing it. Not doing it. That was all you did, yes, 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 yes. You started. That you <laughs> not that kind of show. Um, so yeah, I, somebody was using was talking about that song today, and, and she said, "Oh, I bet you can't translate that." And I'm like, "Yeah, that would be an American word. That is, it's a Creole word." So I had to go look it up. So it's. It's come by here, come, right? Come by here yeah. and for former slaves from South Carolina and Georgia. And that's a Creole influence um, from, yeah. is it just like slang um, from a slave slang? I don't know yeah. what that's called. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Slave Creole. Yeah. So they would sing it and, you know, 
asking for help. You know, that's my name, Tucker, is taken from an old minstrel song back in the day. And, you know, the the old traveling minstrels, the tri- like those existed, you know, and that's you know, yeah. the, the blackface and stuff. And um, Old Dan Tucker was, and Bruce Springsteen has covered it, by the way, but Old Dan Tucker was like this parody of the white man, right? Um, and just this stereotype of... I'm not even going to go into it because <laughs> they say names have powers. But it, it, it's interesting that um, – well, why did I even get into this? Oh, because of the Creole influence. So it's like – Creole influence, uh, yeah. Even my name it comes from old African culture. I love your name. What? I love the name Tucker. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> I was going to tell you when we first started talking. But, yeah, it's one of my favorite names. My well, kids didn't get the name, but <laughs> if, if we can, if, if we can get just get one Joker off of Fox News, then I would like my name a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, I hear Tucker. I think of you. Not, nice. Not any... <laughs> Eat your heart out, Tucker yeah. Carlson. Yeah, there you go. So anyway, I come by ya into. Oh, we have a question. Let me just finish my thought, and then we'll go to that. Finish it. Um, I put it into Google Translate. Can't handle it. I couldn't How do you find even any spell language. Kumbaya? Uh K U M B A Y A H. Yeah. Not coming up. Kumbaya. Come by here. Yeah. Audiobook. And this yes. is this is the type of important research expert consultants like Wendy and myself do, ladies and gentlemen. Googling stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. There's always something. And we're putting it out on social media all the time because we find stuff um, and just put it out there for a laugh or for education or for edutainment. Edutainment, exactly. (laughs) And the book is loaded with those kind of examples. So I I use them and then well, wrap and, a learning story in around it. And that's why, and not to hijack the you know the book discussion, but that's why when, when I wrote my book um, with Renato, my partner, my my, yeah. my co-author, um, it was very important to us that it was entertain infotainment, right? It was yes. very important to us. Like it has freaking like cartoons in it. Um, why? Because I don't care how great your your feed, your information is. If I can't read it because it's boring, then I'm not gonna. It's not adding value to me, right? Right. So there's a difference between um, adding value and adding value for someone and delivering. I need to figure out how to say this better, but it's like you can have a really valuable thing that doesn't yeah. add value to your audience because your audience mm-hmm. can't consume it. They don't have right. time. They don't have the understanding. Um, you know, I was talking previously, it was right before this, talking about how when localizing into from English to Spanish, for example, I was talking with Mercedes Montero of um, Rosario Traduciones about language equity and stuff. And one thing that she said you need to take into account of is, you know, when translating for specific audiences, you need to lower the comprehension, the reading level of it. Do you need to localize that as well, like complexity of it as well? And... As usual, I don't know how I got off on this tangent. But. Yeah, but I don't know about that because it should match the register that it's written in. 
No. Well, I mean, it, that whole conversation was very much, you know, every everything that we said started with the words, well, it depends, but, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, we, we don't need right. to relitigate that whole conversation. But audiobook. Yeah. Yes, yes. Will it be an audiobook? Yep. Oh, nice. I recorded it. I almost don't want to talk about it because I want you to buy the hard copy. But for No, those you recorded diehards, it yourself? I did. Mm, that's nice. <laughs> it was loads of fun. I actually went on Clubhouse and I went into a room. Thank you, LinkedIn user. Yeah. I appreciate the congratulations. But I went into a Clubhouse room that talked about using audio voice. And what he said was my tone was pretty good, but I had to laugh a lot beforehand because people want to hear you smiling a lot. So I had to stand in my wine cellar that I use as a gift cabinet <laughs> because it had good acoustics. I brought a, uh, a, a guy, Brian Morris, up from the Cape. Um, he set up all his recording equipment there. He's an NPR announcer, so he coached me on so some he, of the legit. things. Yeah. Oh, he's legit. He's very legit. I highly recommend him. He was a joy to work with. He actually recorded one section of the book for me. I was like, hey, why don't you give this a try? Nice. Um, so I had a ton of fun doing it with him. Um, and it it was – I'm just thrilled to do it. So it'll, it'll release. It's not coming out in the near future, but um, we're trying to – figure out when well if it were me and i were yeah. recording an audiobook in a wine cellar it'd be a while before it was done <laughs> you know so i, I could think of you know, too many distractions <laughs> in there you know what i'm saying you know chapter six you might start getting muddled by chapter seven or so <laughs> yes uh. it was but you know I kind of wanted to see how fast I could do it. Yeah. I kind of had this little competition with myself is how, how fast can I do it to keep it entertaining and engaging um, and high quality, but do it in the fewest number of takes. Well, and it, it's so important too, because it, it's exactly what we're talking about is you need to come to your audience and everybody's got an audience, right? When I talk about like an audience or fans or what, you know, followers, Everybody has one these days. Everybody. Right. Right. So I'm not right. just talking about like brands or influencers. Um, but when when you're talking to your audience, it's um, – Jesus, I'm just – this is my third live stream today. I'm just all over the place. Where were, What were we talking about, Wendy? When you're talking to your audience and trying to keep it interesting or something about the wine cellar, I think that's what distracted you is you got, you got yeah, hung up on the wine. the wine cellar. <laughs> Red or white wine? Oh, I mean, it's talk their language, right? Like approach them okay. in the way that they want to be approached. And, oh, yeah. you know, some people are, you know, this like this thing. We live stream it on like a bajillion different platforms because some people are Instagram people and they want to watch stuff on Instagram. Some people are podcast people. They want to, you know, listen to this thing as a podcast afterwards or while they're at the gym or going for their walk. Um and it's easier to do that today than really ever before, right? Yeah. So when I wrote my book, it was the thought of recording it as an audio book. Well, first of all, no one could listen to my voice for 
hours. So I'd need to hire someone. Are you kidding? You've got it. No, 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 no. They say when you, it's best as an author on a business book to record your own because they want to hear your voice. Oh. Yeah, because men's voices are better for audio books. Oh. But they, I don't. I All don't. Right. People prefer to listen to a man. Uh, uh, but they did say for authors it's better to do your own. And besides, you've got a fantastic voice. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll take another shot at this. So yeah. I wonder who that LinkedIn user is. Well, thank you, and I second the congratulations. I am watching the time here, though, and we've been doing this about 45 minutes. I, I wanted Ooh, it's to – I know, right? Um, I wanted to talk – and I'm showing the screen here. Um, what do you do at Rapport? Give us, give us an intro here because – and this, this is basically like – Here's your excuse to do a shameless plug, right? It's a big part of my show is I, I, you know, a lot of people that have podcasts and you're like, oh, don't come on a podcast and talk about your company. No, talk about your company. Talk about your company at the end. Add value, then, you know, earn, earn your plug. So tell us, what do you do over at Rapport? All right. Well, I am the president of Rapport International, and I've got an awesome team. So a lot of responsibilities have been taken off me. Um, I have carved out the fun stuff that I like to do, like talk to Tucker on a live stream, um, host the podcast. I do some writing. Um, I, I work with a lot of clients on what their strategy is so they know what they actually have to translate. And our company really focuses on high quality. So we have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. We have a 100% on-time delivery rate. The only time that we've blown a delivery is not due to us. It's the ch client changing the specification. Um, so we have a lot of fun. We've got a really great great culture. We've been virtual since before the cloud. <laughs> so we've got 24 hours, seven day a week coverage if people need to, to schedule interpreters. And we really are good at helping people figure out how to communicate across languages. So even if you have this wild idea of what you want to do, come to us, we'll figure it out. Very good. Find out more www.rapporttranslations.com. And we've been speaking with Wendy Pease, author of You Want to Do It Together? Hold Them Up Together. Yes. <laughs> the Language of Global Marketing Translate Your Domestic Strategies into International Sales and Process by Wendy Pease. Wendy, it's been truly a pleasure talking to you. Um, I'll come do you. You can put me in the hot seat if you want um, on, on okay. your podcast, or you can come back on here. But regardless, don't be a stranger. Okay. Okay. All right. Th thank you so much, Wendy. Uh, just a really quick note. I've, I'm going to keep this quick because I've given this plug a million times today. Um, we have one more thing coming up after this. We are going to be talking with Brian Beck which is I'm very much looking forward to this. We're going to be talking about e-commerce trends, market entry, specifically um, U.S. market entry from foreign companies, how you can use e-commerce to enter that U.S. market and um, expand globally. So that will be coming up here probably, I think, within the next half hour or so. Until then, I will remind you to like and subscribe if you like these live casts, these pop-up events, subscribing. Um, hitting that bell notification over on YouTube if you're on YouTube. That's how you're going to find out these things happen. We don't plan them. We don't schedule them. So with that, I will bid you adieu, and we will see you soon. Cheers. <laughs>